reading today is from 1 John 1, 5 to 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you to our worship team for leading us. That's great. Great stuff. Well, I know some of you are wondering what I've been doing the last few weeks. Wow, he's finally preaching again. I am very thankful for members of our community using their teaching gifts among us. We're in the middle of a series, actually we're on the third week of a four-week series on forgiveness. The first week, Aaron led us to see how God is a forgiving God, that God wants to forgive, does forgive, has forgiven. In his very nature, he forgives. And ultimately, that was revealed to us in the coming of Jesus, to provide forgiveness for us, that God in his very nature is forgiving. And then last week, Brooke led us to see how forgiveness is really God's pathway, our pathway from bondage to blessing, as we let go of the offense and we turn it to Jesus and let his blood on the cross, his sacrifice, pay for somebody else's sin as he paid for ours. Today, we're going to just ask the question, how can we make forgiveness a daily practice in our lives? Something regular. And and, and in particular, how can we forgive people again and again and again? Because that's what it sometimes feels like, right? And in particular today, we're going to look at our, our daily relationships, our, our, our life interactions, some of the regular stuff. There are really big hurts that we need to forgive. There are old wounds that we need to let God transform us and, and, and lead us to, to a greater place of forgiveness. And that is true. Some of us have faced a, abuse in our lives. Some of us have been, had our lives destroyed through adultery. Some of us have had parents who've neglected us. Some of us are really needing to experience the work of God in us and to bring healing to us so that we can truly forgive those who have brought massive hurt and, and damage into our lives. And I think next week as we hear Dale Lang speak about his story of forgiving the murderer of his son, um, that's going to be a, really a super testimony for us to hear someone <clears throat> learn forgiveness when it's a, a really big hurt. Because forgiveness really is possible. But today, so, so everything we're saying today applies to that. But I want to really focus our time today to think about our, our regular life interactions. The, the people that we, we live with, the people that we love, the people we, we were born, you know, families we were born into. Uh, and I want to ask that question. How do we practice forgiveness in our, in our everyday lives? You know, what about your marriage? What about the ways that you get hurt? What about the insensitive things that are said? Ways that maybe you're ignored or forgotten, right in, your, right in your marriage relationship. What about words that are said in anger? Words that we wish uh, we hadn't heard. Words sometimes we wish we hadn't said. I get that. But particularly the words that we keep hearing that don't stop. What about friction between you and your siblings? The ways that sometimes you feel taken for granted. What about practicing daily forgiveness toward our own kids and maybe especially our adult kids? who sometimes aren't as gracious and as kind to you as they really should be. And that's just family. What about, what about workmates? What about, what about those workmates who don't perform very well and for, for some odd reason you get left holding the bag, doing more of the work, doing most of the work? What, what about colleagues who mock you, maybe subtly, or insult you in some way, or assault your faith, or, or maybe they bully you or diminish your contributions? How do you forgive them? How do we practice forgiveness with our school friends, with, with friends who use sarcasm as humor, but that sarcasm really hurts, cuts deep, and it hurts us maybe every single day? What about that ignorant neighbor? You know, he keeps snow blowing his stuff over on your side of the fence. 
What about that difficult friend? And what, what about you and me? You know, what about, what about when I offend you or I ignore you? I say something insensitive. I forget that that's part of your story and I make a crack that hurts. Or what about when you misunderstand me and you, you treat me unfairly? What, what about when my joke cuts a little close and your sarcasm bites back hard? What about when we don't see eye to eye? What about when you keep doing that thing that I've asked you to stop doing? You know? What about that thing? Uh, you know, what about the times I keep disappointing you? What about when you're pressuring me? You know what I mean? Because if following Jesus means practicing the lifestyle of forgiveness, you know, how do we do that in the trenches of life? How do we pray as Jesus taught us to pray? Forgive us, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or how do we take the Bible challenge to bear with each other and forgive one another? If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we do that in our regular interactions, sometimes our fractious relationships? You know, think about the fight that you had last week. Maybe think about words that were said that hurt you even just yesterday. Think about the strain, perhaps, that you've been enduring over the last month. What does forgiveness look like then? What does it mean to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive? And people keep coming asking for forgiveness or maybe not even. But when do you want to just say, okay, enough? You know, enough. Because forgiving others gets tiring and it gets frustrating and it gets hard. And yet we know, as Jesus followers, we know that that's what we're called to do. And even if you're here today and you haven't yet made a commitment to Jesus or you're just checking things out, even you, you can know. That's one of the things that Jesus asks his followers to do, tells us to do, commands us to do, is to forgive others. And that's, that can be really hard. Well, there's good news. People have actually been struggling with forgiveness for quite a while now. And contrary to what some of you think, people didn't get suddenly irritating in the 1970s. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, people have been irritating and hypocritical ever since Adam and Eve polished off that apple pie. And... From the dawn of humanity, there's been people who have loved others, who have lived with them, and have had to try to figure out how to forgive. Because that's our reality, right? I sin, and you sin. I say, I'm going to do one thing, and I don't. I disappoint, and, and, and you do too. I need forgiveness, and you need forgiveness. And th- so this is really critical stuff. Learning how to forgive, learning how to practice forgiveness is probably the most important thing that we can learn for the sake of our relationships with each other, with our families. But there is that moment, isn't there, where we, we wrestle, we want to say, you know, forgiveness is important, we, we get that, everyone kind of gets that, yes, you need to forgive, but then the question comes up, you know, how far do we have to go, right? You know, how far are you willing to go? I mean, at what point do you sort of cut people off? When do you say, you know, the forgiveness has ended and now vengeance has begun, right? Or at least a cold shoulder or something, or, you know, I'm going to look the other way when I walk past. And that's the question some of us really struggle with. Maybe all of us have struggled with at some point. We've wondered it. I've wondered it. Unfortunately for us, so did Peter. The Apostle Peter, he wondered, I think, a lot of things. And some of them came out of his mouth. And we're so happy about that. Because he asks the question that some of us have really wrestled with. And he actually walked up to Jesus and he asked it for us, for himself. So we're going to find this story today in, in Matthew. It's the, se- it's the first book in the New Testament, which is the second, not quite half of the Bible, but second part of the Bible. The first story about Jesus is called Matthew. And this is found in chapter 18 of the book of Matthew. Jesus has been teaching for a while on, on how in community we restore one another. How do we go to one another, in particular when there's been a, a sin or something's gone wrong. And, and, and Jesus has been talking how you restore people, how you bring people back. And, and Peter's got to wondering, you know, he's listening to Jesus speak and he says, okay, Jesus, I, I get the restoration thing. I get the going back. I get the people coming, you know, I get it. But what if someone just keeps messing up? You know, what if they say sorry, but then they just mess up again or they disappoint again or they, they sin again, they hurt me again. Um, you know, how many times can a person say, please forgive me? And at what point do I say, look, buddy, you've had your chance. You hear what he's saying, hey? It's important. He's asking the question that some of us have asked. Where's the limit to forgiveness? Where's the limit? You know, when do we say forgiveness no more? Three strikes and you're out of here. So Peter asks his famous question. How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? 
How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? So Peter, he actually had a little bit, you know, everyone kind of knew in that time that the rabbis, some of the old teachers of, of the law, they had already ruled on this one. They had already come to a decision. And they had decided that you could limit, justifiably limit your forgiveness to a person who is, you know, a partic- caught up in a particular sin or doing something three times. You, know, you, you could forgive them three times. After that, you didn't, you didn't have to. They were the first legislators who instituted the three strikes in your outlaw. There you go. So Peter, he's been following Jesus for a while now. He's been hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and, 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 and explain what it's like to follow him. And we're way into Matthew now. So there's been a lot of teaching. He's walked with Jesus. And he knows how Jesus has this tendency, sometimes aggravating, but sometimes fun when you see him really shoot down the Pharisees. Um, uh, he has this tendency to take something that people think and then expand it, make it more difficult, you know, make it harder deepen it somehow. So, so Peter, knowing that there's this three strikes thing out there, he figures, I know, I'm going to go big. I'm going to go generous. And so he thinks, well, let's take the limit. Let's double it and add one. That is super generous, people. So he figures, okay, Jesus, so <clears throat> how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Right? Not a small number. Anyone who's been disappointed by a husband or ridiculed by a friend or rejected by a wife once, twice, three times, four times, every time coming back saying, please forgive me, you get pretty sick and tired of saying, I forgive you, right? You feel pretty justified in saying, forget it. No. After round five. I've been gracious. I've been understanding. I've forgiven you so far, but it's over. So Peter says seven times, but it's a, it, you know, in his mind, a pretty gracious suggestion. It's pretty reasonable. You know, there's, there's grace, but there's, there's a limit. And I'll allow you to go so far, and I'll, I'll give you lots of rope, but at some point, we're going to hang you. Seven times, Jesus? Sounds about right. Pretty gracious, pretty kingdom-like, pretty forgiving. And that's when Jesus gives his jaw-dropping response, a response we all know, we all cringe to hear it. Seven times, Peter? <laughs> No, 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 not seven times. Try 70 times seven. Add a few digits to that, and then you're getting just close to this kingdom kind of forgiveness that I'm talking about. Now, you can do the math, you can get a big number. But that's actually not the point of Jesus' response. Jesus gets to the heart by saying, our job is not to keep track of other people's sin. Our job is to forgive again and again And again, this kingdom of God life that I'm bringing you is the very heart of God's forgiveness. And there's just no limit to the extravagant, generous forgiveness of God. Wow. And this is super clear. You know, what Jesus says, it's not really up for debate. Forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. But the question is, how do we do that? I understand it. His teachings are really clear. What's really hard is doing it. What's really hard is living it out. I mean, how can we do it? You feel like Peter, I mean, Peter, I'm sure, is thinking it. You may be thinking it. It's like, seriously, Jesus, are you kidding me? Uh, isn't that a little too gracious? You know, aren't people just going to look at that and go, whoa, Jesus is easy on sin. Or I can do whatever I want. Isn't that just going to lead to more abuse? I mean, you, you feel like people say, Jesus, do you have any idea? What it's like to be betrayed by people you love. You know, Jesus, do you have any idea what it's like to be rejected by people who know you and love you and should know better? You know, Jesus, do you have any idea what it's like to have promises broken, to be hurt and ridiculed and denied by the very friends who promised they'd always be with you, Jesus? (laughs) Do you have any idea what that's like? Yeah, he does. But he helps us with the story. And I'm glad for the story. So, so, so Jesus figures Peter needs a story. He knows we need a story. And he's going to help us get down to how we do this. So Jesus explains it like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, and remember, the kingdom of heaven is not this idea of Jesus not suddenly teaching about how you, you go to heaven when you die. He, the kingdom of heaven is a reference for the rule and the reign of God, which Jesus has initiated and is now demonstrating on earth. So when you read the kingdom of heaven, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, because that's his favorite, and you read the kingdom of God in Mark, for example, they're exactly the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same deal. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants 
who had borrowed money from him. Picture it. Here's a king who has many different administrators. They're, maybe they're satraps or they're governors. And these are, these are bureaucrats who are responsible for upholding government, for keeping the peace, and most importantly, for collecting taxes. These, would, these men would have been servants in the sense that everyone's a servant in a monarchy. But think wealthy, influential civil servant. Don't think farm boy. Okay? These are men of means. These are men who dealt with business and with politics and who would have had enough standing to borrow money off a king. So these, these are, these are, so these guys, the king calls in his accounts and these administrators start filing in to pay up. Well, in the process, getting back to the story in the Bible, one of his debtors was brought to him who owed him millions of dollars. And that's today's terms, millions of dollars. In, in more of the old, older translations, it says 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 talents is what the even older translations say, just a way of measuring gold. That's a pile of money. It's a mountain of debt. So he couldn't pay, it says. And you're getting, starting to get the picture. Yeah, no kidding, he couldn't pay. This is a ridiculously large sum of money. And just to give you perspective, you know, taxes were crazy high in the time of Jesus. But Josephus tells us that uh, in the time of Jesus, around that time, the annual tribute for Galilee and Perea, two large administrative districts, the annual tribute to Herod from those two districts was 200 talents. 200. It's a pocket change. This guy is, owes, owes the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 bags of gold. Do you think this guy's personal finances were a little out of order? <laughs> you you want to ask the question, Okay, what, why did the king just kind of let the guy run wild? I mean, why didn't he cut him off at 2,000 bags of silver or gold or 5,000? Like, at what point do you go, this guy is whacked. He's out of control. He's not even managing his, his money at all. But I don't know. So he doesn't. Uh, the, the guy is hauled in and he can't pay. It's obvious. So what does the master do? He orders that this servant be sold into slavery along with his wife and his kids and everything he owns. This is a liquidation sale to pay off the debt. Which, of course, knowing the incredible amount of debt this guy owns, this is more of a formality. There's no way that what this, this guy is worth in the market, and his kids and his wife and his homes and whatever, would have actually paid the debt, but it would have made the guy feel a little better. You know, kind of a formality, send out a message. Uh, it's kind of the principle of the thing. So this guy's doomed. And in his despair, as he's going to be dragged out, he fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. <laughs> which is a lie. This is not a chance he'd be able to pay it all. But, but it's, the, you know, it's, the, it's the heart of it. It's the intention. He sure felt like he wanted to pay it all back. So he falls down on his knees, and then his master, and this is the most shocking part of this whole story, his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Forgave his debt. Let him off scot-free. You know, just wipe this slate clean. That guy's a bad administrator. You can see the other servants standing there going, huh, I just paid him back 400 talents that I've been, like, stressing about. I thought I just asked him. He could have, you know, you can just imagine what some of the others, that lousy manager, lousy accountant, gross mismanagement of funds. You can just hear the gasp. They let him off the hook. It's crazy. But, but can you see the guy, you know? Can you, can you imagine the change in his face as he realized what's happened? Can you even grasp the feelings that would have run through his body as he realized, I'm free. You know, the relief, the shock, the awe, the dawning realization that he could just walk out the door and he doesn't have to pay any of it back. Many of you, you know, some of you really do know what it's like to live under a mountain of debt where you juggle between one payment and another payment. Well, just imagine having it all go away because you asked for it. I thought this is kind of like uh, writing to your bank manager because you can't make your mortgage payment and then getting a reply back from the CEO that they've decided, even though you've mismanaged your money and haven't really taken care of things, they've just decided, you know, kind of feel bad for this guy. We're just going to pay for his mortgage. We're just going to pay it off. You know, don't don't worry about it. Yeah, right. That's not going to happen, right? This is the kind of thing that's going on here. And even more, that's just a mortgage. This guy owed the guy, you know, what could have been the equivalent of his entire annual revenue. It's like, it's like missing credit card payments for months on end and then having the Visa loan sharks feel bad for you because, you know, you really did need that big screen TV. We all knew it. And so, and so they just eliminate your $25,000 credit card debt. 
get the feeling for how shocking this is? Do you see the guy like dancing down the street at his reversal of fortune? He's like kissing babies and hugging strangers. And, and you know, the, the, the sky is so blue and, 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 the, and the birds and he's whistling. He's just, can, can you get a picture of the guy? He's like floating down the street, right? And some of you know how that would feel. Some of you are wishing you could feel a bit of that, in fact. But, but actually... I mean, that's what we think. But as we watch this guy leave, forgiven of his astounding debt, something's actually a little off about the guy. Something's not quite right. Because when the man left the king, he didn't do a happy dance down the street. He didn't glory in the new life he'd been given. He, he didn't take the grace he'd been granted and let it somehow change his heart or change his actions. No. When this man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Whoa. Were you prepared for that? Well, I know some of you read the story a lot, so you were already prepared. But, but think about it. Think of, that's not the picture that you're supposed to see. That's, that's not what's supposed to be happening. It's a few thousand bucks. This guy, who just been forgiven millions, he would have spent that before breakfast. In fact, he probably had spent it in his sleep. You know, this is pocket change for a guy like him. Or at least, this guy should be out buying drinks for everyone. He should be buying new cars. Because, you know, there's nothing that would suggest he's a good manager of funds. So he would just be back in debt soon anyway. Uh, So he should have been out there just throwing it around, right? But instead, instead, he goes and he assaults a guy and demands him to pay up. And so the fellow who owes him a few thousand bucks does the same thing. Same words. Same, same, same scene is played out. He fell down before him and he begged for a little more time. Please be patient with me and I will pay it. And you know what? It's a few thousand bucks. He could have paid it. Right? It's actually a true thing. Give me a few more weeks and I'll have your money for you. It's, he could have done it. Not, not what the other guy said for the millions. This guy could have done it. And you'd think at that point a little bit of memory would have kicked in. He would have realized, oh man, this is weird. I mean, I have an opportunity to be as generous as my king or whatever. But nothing like that kicks in. His creditor wouldn't wait. No, I want it now. So he had the man arrested and put him in prison until the debt could be paid in full. How could he be so cruel? You know, how could he be so harsh, so forgetful? I mean, how was he unable to connect the dots to not remember the grace that had been given to him for the much larger debt that he had suddenly been forgiven of? Well, apparently that's what others thought because some of the other servants saw this and they were very upset. Very upset. And they went to the king and they, they told him everything that had happened. And the king called the man back who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant! I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt, which is to say, for the rest of his life. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? I mean, do you hear that? You hear why the king's angry? Because though he had shown this incredible, unexpected, unimaginable surprise, mercy, this man wasn't moved one bit. It didn't change him. It didn't change the way he thought about his life. It didn't change the way he thought about relationships. It didn't change the way he thought about debt. It was like, thank you very much, and I'll continue to be who I was. Forgiven of a massive debt, but then loses it over a little debt. We see the forgiveness on one hand and we see this incredible judgment on the other. We see a merciful heart and what that looks like to play out and then we see deaf ears to the cries of someone for mercy. And then Jesus drives the point at the end of the story home really hard, really hard. This is one of these uncomfortable things in the Bible where Jesus says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And what we hear very clearly in this is that forgiveness is part of following Jesus. Forgiveness is the way of life for a God-forgiven man. Forgiveness is a daily practice, a lifestyle practice for a God-forgiven 
woman. Forgiveness flows from a heart that has been changed by the forgiveness of God, who's experienced the grace of God and knows what it's like to be forgiven and so passes it on. So Jesus is saying that you and I, who've been forgiven so much from God, that if we refuse to forgive others, we will be held accountable for that. The work of God will be hindered, relationships will be broken, and we will be judged for it. So let's put this all together. Because the challenge of this, the answer to this, is how do we do it? How do we practice forgiveness? This is the story that Jesus gave to illustrate it. And so what we see in this is that in order to forgive people who have wronged us again and again and again, in order to practice this, there's an action we have to take. We have to turn actually away from their sin, away from their debt, and we have to turn and we have to face the grace of God. You know, maybe you really do need to forgive your husband, but you don't think you can. The invitation in this story is to turn and face the grace of God and let the grace of God, as you, as you are reminded of God's love, as you're reminded of your forgiveness, as you're reminded of the massive debt that you owed Him, to let His grace flow into your heart and to fill you up so that you can begin to forgive others out of that grace and out of that forgiveness. Maybe you need to offer forgiveness to your sister or your brother or your children or an old friend. But you don't know how. Because when you look at what they've done and you look at how they've come back and you yourself have counted up the different times and the the different struggles and you, you watch what they've done and you fixate on it and you obsess about it and you remember it, you realize, I can't forgive. And what God is calling us to do is to turn away from that sin and face the grace of God and let His grace fill your heart, your mind, and your life so that you can then forgive. In Jesus, God forgave us a mountain of debt. And it's easy to forget that, especially when we're in something that's really hurting us. It's easy to forget. It's easy to turn away from grace and and begin to fixate on sin and forget the grace that we've received. Because this mountain of debt that God forgave us is huge. We rebelled against God. We, We ignored his direction in our lives. We judged other people. We looked down on others. We fooled around with the wrong woman. We went after the wrong man. We foolishly ignored our conscience and we went off a cliff. Maybe we went off a cliff financially. We went off a cliff sexually. Maybe we went off a cliff emotionally or relationally. Or or we didn't do any of that. But we turned God's laws into pride points and became ugly Pharisees that no one wants to be around. Or we spurned the rich or we despised the poor. And we did it all before lunch. Right? And that's the mountain of debt that God forgave us in Jesus. In Jesus, God looked at us, He looked at what we owed Him, and He wiped it clean. He heaped that pile of rebellion and that stink of sin, He heaped it on His own Son, Jesus. And Jesus carried it to the cross. And Jesus paid for it. And Jesus, as He was tortured on the cross, as His blood flowed down, He said, it's paid for. The debt is gone. You've been wiped your, your sin has been wiped clean. When we turn and face the grace of God, when we really let Him begin to remind us of the mountain of debt, not to judge us, not, not to that we feel guilty, but to know what we've been freed from, we are then able to turn and forgive others again and again and again. Why? Because we're no longer fixed on or obsessed with or focused on the, the hurts and the, 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 even the, the struggles. What we've fixed our eyes upon is the grace of God. And it's only as we face grace we can forgive others. And this actually makes sense of something for us. The fact that Jesus gives this astoundingly large number, this weird math, the fact that forgiveness has no limit. Because you see, if there was a limit, any kind of limit, if Jesus had said, yeah, Peter's seven, come on, it's got to be 12, or 40, I mean, it could be some nice, beautiful, biblical big number even. It could be something like that. But the fact is, if, if there was a number where we, we knew there was a point at which we could say, sorry, buddy, you've done, you, you, forgiveness is over, what would we do? We'd remain focused on that person's sin. We'd keep the count. We'd keep the checklist. We'd keep remembering. Because we'd be watching, especially when people are coming back again and again and again. We were, you know, we, this guy's got to be getting close to the limit here. And, and we begin to look at that and fixate on that. And think about that. But Jesus says there's no limit to it. 
And so as Christians, as Jesus followers, we go, oh, okay, well, that's pretty clear. There's no limit. Oh, that doesn't make it easy, though. But what it tells us is, you know what? There's no limit. We know, we know that we've got to forgive. That's a done deal. Jesus commanded it. He told us we have to. It, it, it's not up for debate. Forgiveness is a must. So what we have to do then, knowing that that's true, the call is to face the grace of God and to make this what fills our vision. That the grace of God and his forgiveness toward us is what fills our hearts and our minds, even in the midst of a particular struggle. That this is the way we're looking, even though there's some real realities, some real struggles in our lives. It's the grace of God that fills us up. And then it's in that context that we can, in the context of the grace of God, as we face the grace of God, as we, we can tell Jesus, we can confess to him our struggle in that. We can say, I don't want to forgive this guy, or, or, or she really ticks me off, or I'm so tired of saying I forgive you, or, or I don't know what to do anymore, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling bitter, and I'm feeling resentful, and I'm feeling used, and I'm, I'm feeling walked over. We can say all that in the context of the grace of God because he understands. He knows what it's like, as we already alluded to earlier. He knows what it's like to be betrayed and abused. And from that cross, what did he say? Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And that's what we fix our eyes on. And it's as we fix our eyes and we face grace that Jesus gives us the power to forgive. But what's the point here? God's, um, God's grace makes forgiveness possible. But what we see in the life of this evil servant, this wicked servant, is that you know, it wasn't just knowing he was forgiven that made the difference. He knew he was forgiven, Right? It wasn't just accepting, thank you very much for that debt reduction or that debt remission. That isn't what transformed him. Well, it didn't transform him. That isn't what did it for him because that was all true of him. What changed or what was lacking in that guy's life was gratitude for it. Was gratitude for that grace where he said, wow, my whole life now is different because of this grace. And I think what we see in here is when we think of facing grace, when we think of forgiving others, it comes right down to this. That gratitude for grace is what empowers forgiveness for others. Gratitude for grace empowers forgiveness for others. And so, especially in those relationships you're struggling with, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's between a brother and a sister, maybe it's an old friend or a used-to-be friend, or maybe it's a work associate, whatever it is, it's as we face the grace of God, not only are we filled with grace, But our attitude is changed into one of gratitude for grace. And it's that gratitude for grace, I believe, that leads us to a true forgiveness of others. Where we look at someone's debt to us. And I'm not diminishing the hurt and the difficulty of some of your relational situations. I'm not diminishing that. But compared to this, it's a few thousand bucks. Compared to that, it's a small debt. And so what Jesus calls us to do is to look at grace, to face grace, and let the gratitude for what God has done in Jesus for us to empower us as we forgive others. So the question for us is, which way are we going to face? Are we going to choose to face the grace of God, especially in those times of difficulty, especially in those relationships where you feel like giving up, you feel like, Forgiveness is over. You feel like you just want to stop. Are we going to face the grace of God and let him transform us and fill us with gratitude for what he's done? Are we going to continually turn toward the sin of others? Are we going to continually fixate on the ways people have disappointed us or forgotten about us or neglected us? As difficult as those things are, is that what's going to become the focus of our lives? Which will not lead to restoration. It will not lead to freedom. It will not lead to life. The choice really is ours. I have a practical thing for us to do. I printed off some cards. Mish made them. I didn't. Well, I printed them. <laughs> this is a practical, especially, this is for all of us. I, I, I want to give you a practical challenge this week, but um, can you start handing these out? Uh, you can just pass them along. It's a challenge for you, uh, particularly if you're struggling in a relationship where you need to forgive. Just take one and pass it on that you would take this card, it has a verse on it, and a little saying that I put up there, gratitude for grace and powers, forgiveness for others. And I would encourage you, I would encourage everyone 
to face grace and let the gratitude fill our lives and fill our hearts and, and, and affect the way we relate to everyone. But in particular, for those of you who are wrestling with forgiveness toward anyone, to use this card as just a way, one way, that you can turn and face grace this week. So for one week, once a day, I challenge you to take that card out. Maybe you want to do it while you're brushing teeth or while you're driving. However you want to do it. But to take that card out and to read those couple of verses from Romans. These are the verses. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. The whole purpose of this little, this, this, these verses and this practical action of taking this card is so that we can actually turn our attention to the grace of God. We can fix our eyes on His grace for us and let that grace fill our hearts with gratitude. Let that grace of God affect our relationships and in particular in areas where we really do need to forgive. We do really need to forgive people. So I challenge you to take that card, place it in an obvious place um, where you will see it at least for a week and every day say that card. Read it out loud. Read it to your kids maybe. Talk about it at supper perhaps. Read it to a friend. You can even post it in your status update. (laughs) But use it to face grace this week because it is as we face grace And we experience that gratitude for his grace. That we're empowered for forgiveness. Well, do we have time for a couple questions? Haven't done questions for a while, have we? Al's willing. He just stood. He's got the mic. Are there any questions uh, that you'd like to ask, particularly around the topic of forgiving people again and again? Any questions you'd like to ask today? I can't promise any kind of answer to the question, but we can talk about it. Any questions? Micheline. Right. Oh, okay. Is that, is that it? Okay. Al does have a mic, so we'll, in future we'll shout into the mic. What if people don't ask for forgiveness? Great question. What do, you, what do you think? Now you do need the mic, don't you? Okay, let's think about that for a minute. I, I, I do, do want to know what you guys think. What, what about relationships where people don't ask for forgiveness. Because, you know, I was thinking about that, like in our, some of our closest relationships, actually, the person that keeps hurting you and hurting you and hurting you often doesn't uh, know it or won't admit it, right? I think, actually, part of the key is you probably, if you take all of Matthew 18, there's some specific instructions given for how you confront people who are hurting you and sinning against you, as it were, to put it boldly. And that involves making them aware of it, Right? Saying, what you, when you say that, it really hurts me. That, that, that is unacceptable. Being firm about that. Uh, because extending forgiveness to someone, is, as Brooke highlighted last week, is not saying what you're doing is okay. And what you're doing is wrong. Jesus died for it. I forgive you, though. Uh, so there may be, uh, for lots of us, there's relationships where we actually need to speak the truth. Uh, you might need a friend to help you do that. You might need a counselor to help you do that. Uh, you might need to, to have an intervention, as it were. But there's, a, there's an important place where if people are wronging you and they're, and they're saying things or they're doing things, there's a pattern of behavior that's hurtful, they actually need to be confronted over it. And, and, and so that is brought out into the light and there's an opportunity for them to, for a lot of people to say, I'm very sorry, please forgive me. Um, so it, it kind of, uh, you're right, the, the assumption in the passage is, is there's, a, there's an asking for forgiveness. But the broader application, I think, still hangs, hangs true even in our interactions with how we deal with people who have done something wrong to us or have hurt us, we need to do that, I think, out of the light of the grace of God. So even as we walk into those situations where we've got to confront someone or we've got to bring something up or maybe it's just your spouse and there's been some negativity or there's been some strain or there's been a, a habit or a pattern uh, of relating that really needs to be discussed, that we do it, again, not fixated upon the sin. We need to be honest about the sin, but allowing the grace of God and the gratitude for his grace to inform how we do it. So in Galatians chapter 6, one of the letters that Paul wrote, he says, if someone's caught in a fault or they're sinning, it says, those of you who have the Holy Spirit, 
other followers of Christ, are to go and restore that person graciously, knowing that next time it might be you who's on the the receiving end of the restoration, right? So we have this kind of grace-filled way of dealing with sin, but it means we're still honest with it. And then, you know, where we go from there, uh, I realize in the complexity of relationships can be a lot of different directions, but it doesn't alter the fact that we want to let the grace of God empower our forgiveness of others. Thanks. Other questions or comments? Um, Wait for it, Nani. The mic is coming. (laughs) That's for everyone to hear you, and also it gets in the recording. Would it? Yep, just keep talking. Hello. Just keep talking. Yep. What if you ask for forgiveness and they don't forgive you? Right. Great question. So sometimes we've wronged someone, we ask for forgiveness, and they won't forgive us, right? And, and really, I mean, we need to seek reconciliation, do everything we can. But if we've honestly done our part to ask for forgiveness and there's an unwillingness to forgive, it's, we keep, continue to pray for that person. But when we've done what we have properly you know, need to do and we've done it honestly and with grace, then, then there's a, there may be a certain point where there's not much more we can do. You know, uh, we, yeah, like I said, continue to pray for them. But uh, they're going to be in their own journey of hopefully understanding forgiveness and being able to offer forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is a tricky thing. Even saying, I forgive you, implies something, doesn't it? Implies that you were wrong. And for some people, even to receive forgiveness, they've got to come to a place of admitting that what they've done is wrong. And then the reverse is also true. So, Other comments or questions? Becky. When I um, hear this verse, or this... Um, <coughs> You know, the whole concept of forgiving 70 times 7. Um, I always feel it's important to realize that because we have to forgive it 70 times 7 doesn't mean we're, as Christians, doormats for people to walk all over. Right. And um, it was a journey that I had to learn mm-hmm. in, in my Christian walk. But you can forgive somebody, but you don't need to allow them to trample you. And you, it's okay to set up boundaries, and it's okay to, you know, I forgive you, but I'm not going to... You know, it's okay to put out a distance between you and, and those hurts, too. Absolutely right, Becky. And thank you for, you know, alluding to your own personal story in that. And uh, that, you know, is something that Brooke highlighted last week as well. Um, forgiving someone is not saying what you did is okay. and what you, you can continue to do it all you'd like. It isn't. And uh, there's other, other teaching there. What we understand, though, from the Scripture is those who have either set up boundaries or not, who have been unwilling to forgive essentially end up being poisoned by that unforgiveness. And, uh, and so the pathway to freedom really is forgiveness. Uh, but as you've said, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that we just let people beat us or let people um, you know, ignore us. I mean, we need to confront reality and do that with grace and with acceptance. But, but we don't want to hold on to unforgiveness in the midst of that because that, that will destroy us. Um, the old saying about, you know, I don't want to forgive that person because I want to hold on to hurt or I want to even hurt them is, you know, as they say, it's like drinking poison in order to hurt someone else. You're the one who gets hurt and you won't experience what God desires for you and the life he wants to give to you because unforgiveness kills. It really kills. Outside of, I think, God's challenge to us, Jesus' challenge to us that, look, you need to forgive. Like, Somehow, and I do not, I confess to you, I do not understand all the inner workings of this, but somehow our forgiveness of others is bound up with our relationship with God and our forgiveness from God. He says it too many times to ignore it. And that's not an ugly kind of legalism. That's saying there's a work God wants to do in us and through us, and our forgiveness of others and our forgiveness from God and our forgiving of ourselves is all bound up together in this marvelous grace that God wants to give. We need to yield to him in that. Other comments? Kathleen. Yep, go ahead, Kathleen. I think my reluctance or in considering uh, forgiveness, it's, um, I think I have felt that um, it's like putting myself above somebody else. And I never wanted to feel that. I didn't want it to go on, but I, I struggled with that part. That's great, uh, Kathleen. So the, the sense that when I forgive someone, I'm, I'm suggesting that I'm above them or better than them or I'm in a place of power over them. And the reality is, um, 
I appreciate the concern around that and that, that we don't want to somehow be suggesting that I'm superior to you, I'm less sinful than you. And I think that's part of what this story does is it says, less sinful than them. Are you joking? You know? No, actually, the reason why you can turn around and forgive this sin is because you are a massive sinner. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm really messed up. That's why I can forgive your little mess up, you know. And so it's remembering in the midst of the grace of God. What it's saying is, we owed God this, and I'm forgiving this. And so it's, it's not that. And I think the way that we go about that is important. That we, we, we're saying to people, look, I, I'm not suggesting I'm perfect. I need you I need you to forgive me too. And, and often in our close relationships, what when I confront someone, you know, when I confront Tanil, haha, uh, about her her sin, uh, you know, we're going to end up having a discussion about my sin too, right? <laughs> yes, you will. And so, and so in our in our close relationships, that's exactly what often happens when we finally get the the guts or the courage to say, I'm really wrestling with this, or or, you know, the forgiveness, there's going to often be a discussion about how we've been sinning against each other and we need to confess and forgive one another in Christ. And so we, we are reminded that we're not over anyone, but we're, we're all under the cross. We're all under grace. And so we're able to forgive one another. And that's, like I said earlier, pretty clear, but not necessarily easy. But because of God's grace and because of the power of his spirit, we know that forgiveness is possible. It really is possible. It's a, it's a doable thing, as, as difficult and, 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 and hopeless as it, may, as it may feel. Val has a question, and then Ray. How important is it to go directly to somebody and say, um, I forgive you, as opposed to going to God and saying, um, I forgive that person. Like if the if the person doesn't seems oblivious to the fact of how how much they've hurt you, is it important to confront them in any way, or or is it between you and God at that point? Thanks, Val. I think obviously there are legitimate uh, scenarios you can imagine where going to someone may be may be may be difficult or maybe even impossible, and I get that. But I think by and large we need to go to them. Now, part of the struggle is, as you've already alluded to, and, and uh, uh, Mish mentioned it, there are people who, they're just not even going to accept. They're going to be offended that you're trying to forgive them. Because what does that imply? Right? That I've somehow messed up? Uh, and so, you, to know that and be able to negotiate that. So I think behind your question is a willingness to actually go to people and say, you know what you said hurt me, or what you're doing here really disturbs me, or whatever. Like a willingness to engage that, again, in humility and in grace, but but let's, let's talk it out. Because if this person is continuing to hurt you, they must be in close enough relationship with you that it would warrant talking about it, right? So I think that's really important. Having said that, I do think we do some time, we do some time before the grace of God before we do that. Because I think we want to be able to walk into that conversation out of a place of grace and out of an awareness and a gratitude for God's grace for us so that we don't come in guns blazing and you know the judgment of God on fire, as it were, uh, because we're upset, but we're coming in in grace. And yes, we're going to confront, or yes, we're going to bring it up. We're going to talk about it. And our desire is to offer forgiveness. And that may be an ongoing conversation that happens for a while. Because in my experience, I'm sure yours too, the first time confronting someone who wasn't aware of something they were doing often doesn't go very well, right? They'd be really upset with you. And uh, they may storm off. They may leave the room. They may not call you for a week. Um, what I've found is um, if you've done it graciously and if the person is in a relationship with you and there's some openness, they'll often come back to it. And then you can have a further conversation and you know, move forward together. So I don't know if that really answers it. Ray had a question as well. Um, Al, right here. Ray, yeah. My comment or experience is kind of... Uh, runs on the back of Val's uh, question. Uh, we've had a really broken relationship with a party mm-hmm. and uh, bad mouthed uh, me to others. And sometime later, sometime, a couple of times, uh, well, it happened a few times, but in one instance, a couple of years later, uh, made uh, overtures for uh, reconciliation but never said a word. 
and the relationship to this day is good, and we've never talked about it. Yeah. And that's an interesting challenge. That I, I thank you, Ray, for sharing that, where uh, there's times where you have to go the much greater distance of forgiveness to uh, be at peace with all people as far as lies within you, right? To be that gracious person. And, and I, uh, you know, th- there are times where we, it feels like we're going to bear the, the brunt or the, the burden of offering that forgiveness. And we may never get the full, you know, apology as it were, but to somehow be at peace with the fact that our debt has been forgiven and I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to walk in forgiveness. So thank you for your questions and your comments. I, I think we all recognize that this is a teaching of Jesus that is powerful, is transformative, is awfully clear, but it's hard. And the complexity of your relationships, your marriages, your cousins, your brothers and sisters and ex-laws and in-laws, and it can be a hard thing to live out. What we do know is it's possible. What we do know is that forgiveness is the key to transformation in our world and certainly in the worlds that you and I live in. It's the ways that fathers will be restored to their sons. It's the way that mothers will be restored to their daughters. It's the way that we, as, as, as a church, will become the place where broken, uh, lonely people who are, who are living life under a massive burden of whatever it is, burden of sin, burden of, burden of life, burden of difficulty, where this can be a community where they can come and they know that this is a community that faces the grace of God. And isn't obsessing about your sin, as it were, but knows that your sin's been covered in Jesus. And we, as a community, are consistently leading people and leading each other and going arm in arm before the grace of God and letting the grace of God fill our hearts so that we are an empowered community of forgiveness. I don't think there's anything else that will transform the world the way God's forgiveness and our forgiveness extended will transform it. The challenge for each one of us and for us as a community is to be that community that faces the grace of God and lets the gratitude for grace empower our forgiveness for others. Let's pray. Jesus, your forgiveness of us is incredible. And yet we can, we can lose sight of that. We can turn our eyes away from that and begin to fixate on the hurts and the difficulties and the relational struggles and we can forget about your grace. We can, we can forget all that you've done for us. And Jesus, our desire is that we would be a forgiving people. For those of us who are here today who follow Jesus, we know that we need to forgive. And so I ask that each one of us would be filled with your grace and gratitude for what you've done for us and that that would be the empowering principle of our lives. For those who are here today who maybe have not yet decided to follow Jesus, who are exploring things or here at church, we're thankful that they're here, that you're here. And Jesus, I pray that in their relationships, that in each one of our relationships, we'd be able to step into forgiveness and be focusing on how you've forgiven us and and maybe for the first time in our lives coming to an understanding that, God, you've forgiven me. Thank you for forgiveness. And now help me to forgive others. For each one of us, wherever we're at, I pray that we would turn and face your grace and let your grace change everything. I pray this in your name. Amen.